1: I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today we're going to hear a piece about a breast cancer survivor's search for answers to her body's mysteries in a broken family tree. A note for sensitive listeners that today's episode touches upon loss and suicide. If that's a difficult topic for you, you might want to skip or save this one. Okay, for those of you still here, here we go. Like many of you listening today before breast cancer, I was no stranger to grief. I grew up with loss and trauma. Five years before my diagnosis, I lost my mom. She had lived for 49 years with borderline personality disorder, and I later learned that her first attempt at suicide came when she was just 11 years old. When she died decades later, I was 29. My guest today also lost her mom to suicide, and in the wake of that, breast cancer took root in her body. Tova Wolking is an attorney living in Oakland, California. She was diagnosed with stage 3 hormone-positive breast cancer at the age of 43. She also discovered she was positive for the BRCA2 gene mutation. The light of her life is her son, Thelonius, who was 6 years old when she was diagnosed. Today, Tova is here to read a piece she wrote for Wildfire Magazine's Bay Area Young Survivors Issue. This was an issue in which we showcase the young women diagnosed with breast cancer, living in and around San Francisco. Welcome to The Burn, Tova. Hello. Thank you. I am so glad that you are here with us. You are reading a piece you wrote called Swim. After you read, we will talk about memoir writing as a way of making sense of the big questions about grief and about mothering oneself. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for our writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Tova, I'll let you take it away. Thank you.
2: Swim. My mother is the missing key to my cancer, but she herself is missing. My parents divorced when I was one. When I was my son's age, about seven or eight years old, my mother would load my brother and me into her car and drive us to Ocean Beach or La Jolla so she could swim. It would be late in the day, after she was done with her first job, and before her second. Dusk would fall as I sat in the car reading a library book and hugging my sweater around myself. Meanwhile, my mother would swim out past the breaking waves. I would watch her bobbing head recede toward the sun as it dipped below the horizon. I would look up from my book and search for her in the distance as she got smaller and smaller. Eventually, though, she would turn around and swim back in again. Sometimes, on weekends, I'd play in the water. In winter, though, the water was rough. If I wasn't paying attention, a wave would crash over me, pull me down, and hold me under. My face pressed against the sand by the weight of the water and my lungs burning, I would feel the last bit of my breath escape. Then I would kick and push against it and just barely struggle free. Gasping for breath, I'd feel like I had just evaded death. A month before my 40th birthday, my mother drove to her favorite diving spot just before sunset, donned her scuba gear, and walked into the Pacific Ocean for the last time. She left a letter which dispelled any doubt about her intent. Despite searching for three days with boats, helicopters, and rescue divers, the Coast Guard and Hawaii Fire and Rescue were unable to recover her body. The last time I saw my mother was a few weeks prior. She had flown to Oakland to celebrate my son's third birthday with us. Losing her was like suddenly losing a part of myself, like a part of my soul had been amputated. I was alternately empty and filled with anger. I would trick myself into sleep with melatonin, then dream that my mother was still alive. I spent the next two years pushing my grief down. I locked my feelings in a box so that I could keep on being a mother to my son and working at my stressful job as an attorney. Simultaneously, I was also endlessly taking care of my mother's stuff. She was a minimalist, but she had two dogs and accumulated things. There is no easy way to sell a car or a house or gain access to a person's bank accounts if she is simply missing and not legally dead. Therefore, I also worked my way through state court trying to get legal proof that she was dead. I had to piece together her final day with witness accounts and then retell the story of her death over and over. As a result, my health suffered. I was angry all the time. I let my pain and grief eat me from the inside out. I ended up in the hospital after fainting in the shower. I had all the signs of deep vein thrombosis, but it was actually just exhaustion. My gynecologist discovered and excised a precancerous lesion on my vulva. My body was falling apart and my sorrow felt like it would never end. But then, near the end of 2018, I began to have moments of genuine happiness. Though I could not bring myself to swim, I was able to dip my feet into the Pacific Ocean. So, 2019 dawned with promise. However, just after my 43rd birthday, I was diagnosed with stage 3 invasive ductal carcinoma in my right breast. It had already spread to my lymph nodes. When I got the call, I was at home alone. I felt a wave of fear and grief crash over me. It held me down and took my breath away. I was not grieving the prospect of my own death, but rather that my young son would no longer have a mother. I cried for the loss of all the years I would not have with him, how I would not see him graduate from high school, how sad and lonely he would be. For him, I struggled. I pushed up against the heavy weight of despair and gasped for air. Later on, after more biopsies, I also received an additional diagnosis of ductal carcinoma in situ in my left breast. Bilateral breast cancer is rare, but the answer was in my genetic code. Genetic testing revealed that I have a BRCA2 mutation. My body is, essentially, unable to repair rogue cells, which increases my risk of getting breast, ovarian, pancreatic, and skin cancer. I have almost no family history of cancer, except for my father's father. So I assumed that I had inherited the mutation from my father. However, he tested negative, as did my brother. In fact, none of my living relatives, including my mother's sisters, tested positive for this mutation. I could not believe that I had inherited it from my mother. Neither she nor her mother or father had ever had cancer. Before her suicide, my mother was so physically healthy that I truly thought she would outlive me. My mother is the missing key to my cancer. The grief I have about cancer is intertwined with my grief about her suicide, as well as fear that I've passed this mutation along to my son. And so here I am, post-treatment. My mind and body have been so altered that I am no longer the person I was. I endured five months of chemotherapy, a marathon surgery involving amputation of both breasts and removal of my ovaries and fallopian tubes, and then six weeks of radiation. I entered into instant menopause at 43 and take medication to deprive my body of even the smallest amounts of estrogen. But despite this, cancer has taught me about fortitude and how incredibly powerful it can be to love your child. I will fight against death, if not for myself, then for my son. I also realize that my mother must have struggled for 69 years under the heavy weight of depression. Yet, she pushed up against it for me and my brother. Again and again, she resisted the temptation to simply sink down into the cold embrace of the ocean. Again and again, she turned away from the setting sun to swim back to us.
1: Mm. Absolutely beautiful, Tova. Thank you so much for that story. Thank you. We are going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, Tova
0: and I will chat more about her story. Hi, this is Gretchen. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 37, and not until about two or three years after my diagnosis, um, during the pandemic actually, I signed up for a wildfire writing workshop, and it was probably hands down one of the most therapeutic six weeks of my life. I had never had any therapy um, since my diagnosis, So going through this workshop was the first time I really was forced to um, head on face a lot of the issues that I didn't even realize that I hadn't dealt with yet. Um, So in addition to that, though, what was even more impactful about that workshop was... The opportunity to listen to everybody else's stories and to see a part of myself in other people's stories, even though we all came from such different walks of life, we were all had completely different diagnoses. Some people were just diagnosed. Some people were five, ten years out from the diagnosis, um, even longer, and um, just to have that experience and that intimate conversation um during that time um just made me feel a lot less alone and um i don't know i just highly recommended it and i'm just so grateful for the opportunity to do that um so thank you april
1: all right welcome back thank you for the love gretchen Tova, thank you again for your powerful writing and your willingness to read that for us here today. Thank you for providing this opportunity. hmm So I want to dig into your story, and I thought we could start with the ocean. The ocean is the beginning of life on Earth. In writing, it symbolizes formlessness, the unfathomable, chaos, but the ocean can also be seen as a symbol of stability, as it can exist largely unchanged for centuries, The ocean's considered to be boundless, a place where one can easily be lost and can therefore be seen to represent the boundless span of life and the way one can get lost on a journey through life. So I wanna ask you what the ocean means to you today. That's a good question. So the ocean to me
2: today, um, it represents my mother. When I'm in the ocean or when I'm near the ocean, I know that she's there. She's all around me in the water. Um, So really, to me, it does represent my mother. And um, and I'd say now in these years that have passed, I would say that it's in a good
1: way, in a positive way, in a a supportive and embracing way. Mm -hmm. I love that you said embracing because that's what I picture when you dive into water that holds you in this uh, weightless way, um, that it can feel so… I don't know. It just takes away so much of that heaviness of life. And I'm glad that it can still do that for you today. Yes. So I want to also talk to you about memoir as an investigation into our stories. And this idea that memoir is about finding the exact right words for yourself. There've been some really interesting studies done about narrative writing and the power to heal and about specifically finding the right words for you personally. And the reason I bring this up is because I think family sometimes has a hard time calling a suicide, a suicide, but in the story, you you're using the S word. You're right there with it. And so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what it means to you to be exploring this story, your mom's story and your story and the intertwining of the two and finding those right words for you. Yes. They, um Like you, not until my mother
2: um, died by suicide, did they find out that she had had a previous, um, that she'd had previous attempts. And it's just not something my family talked about or told us about. My brother and I did not know that she was, um, had a history of suicide. So for me, it's very important to say it to say this was suicide to say that she struggled with mental illness that it was not that she was a weak person or a faulty person but that this was an illness that she had for a lifetime Um, and i really wish that i had known (laughs) during her lifetime Um, and so for me i feel like it's very important to to be honest and open and to talk about it as suicide after my mother died after she was gone um i say disappeared because there was no body so after she disappeared my uh, my her sisters my aunts they were fairly adamant that it was an accident um that uh, we would find her <laughs> um and that uh, this just it just was not purposeful um and so that i felt like it's very important even within my family to be open and honest that this was purposeful.
1: So Tova, I want to ask you about your mom's writing as well. Um, You mentioned in your story that she had written a note and, you know, we were just talking about finding the right words for one's own story. And I, I guess I just want to acknowledge that, that she was in her own way, you know, letting you guys know what what her plan was, or that she was saying goodbye in her own way. And how writing, I guess what I'm trying to say is we, a lot of people don't think they're writers, but we use writing in these really powerful ways to communicate really important things. And your mom gave you this, this kind of gift of her words in this way too. I don't know if you want to say anything about that at all, but I thought it bared mentioning.
2: Yeah. So the her letter was um, not so much. It was It was actually not very, um, it was a bit unsettling, actually, her letter. Um, but I do think it gave me a lot of, and despite the fact that it was not necessarily something that was easy to read or something that even really gave me a whole lot of answers, um, it was very interesting for me and good for me to see. It gave me some insight into her state of mind. Um, which was something too that I just had, I had not really understood Um, when she would uh, talk about something or something that was troubling her and I would potentially have been dismissive about it. I did not realize how deeply, seemingly small things were really affecting her until I read that letter. So
1: yes, in some ways it gave
2: me a tiny bit of closure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, or some insight at least into her um, thoughts. You know, so in my writing workshops, we talk a lot about sharing these really hard stories. And you and I happen to be able to relate quite literally on this particular topic. But the power of memoir is that you share a story and you share kind of the process of what you learned, you know, this transformation that happened. And it has the power to change other people's lives, even if they cannot relate to that specific incident. And so for me, one of those universal truths that kind of lifted off the page out of your story for me is this idea of a mother's legacy, and how that translates into your caring for your son and you had this, you know, you became able to kind of face your own mortality and then saw it reflected in your own motherhood. I'm wondering how, um, how this whole thing intertwines for you, you know, your mom's mothering of you, you mothering your son and how it all is, is interconnected for you at this point.
2: So I think with my mother, um, when she died, when she disappeared, I, I still had a lot of unresolved feelings about things that I wished I could have asked her or things I wished I'd have known. Um, and particularly because we had just reached a point in life where we could speak together as adults um and that i had an interest more in how she was as a mother when i was a child versus i think when you're young and you don't have a child of your own it's it's you're very focused on yourself um and then you have a child and the focus totally expands to this other person or these other people um, and at that point i understood my mother so much better <laughs> i understood her love for me i understood um how some of the decisions she had made uh must have been very very hard for her and um and it just gave me a little bit gave me a lot more empathy for her um and i think also then as it relates to mothering my own child it gives me some empathy for how he might perceive me and how his world is sort of about himself but how i can incorporate some um some history, some information about my own mother, about his grandmother, uh, how I can um, change or be better in some of the, in some of the ways that I felt like uh, my childhood was hard or could have been different than I'm able to kind of cure those things and um, be those things for my child. Um, So I would say, you know, I think that most of the good things about myself, I do think came from my mother. And even right after she passed away, my son was in a daycare. And the woman who owned the daycare had met my mother and knew my mother as well. And she she said she could just see all these positive things in my son that she knew came from my mother. And um, that was just something that felt really good. And, and, and it, so when I look at him now, I do. I see my mother.
1: Oh, that is so wonderful. I love hearing that. And it brings to mind this you know this other part of legacy and inheritance, and I know you had a lot of questions about the the BRCA gene and all those things. At some point, do you anticipate that your son will be tested? And how are are you guys even talking about anything like that yet? I'm not sure how old he is now. So he's eight years old now.
2: So we don't really talk about it much. I mean, I have been clear. I mean, I'm sure I've said that I I have this mutation. He might have this mutation. That just doesn't really mean anything to him, I think, at this point. Um, so I would say, based on recommendations from the genetic counselors, et cetera, that I I will leave the decision as to whether to test up to him, to my son, and um, the recommendation is that he not do that until at least until he's at least eighteen, until he's old enough to start making medical decisions for himself. Um, In some ways, though, I'm very grateful that he's a boy and not a girl because just because we know that these mutations, I mean, they can manifest also in in males, but they just have so many more repercussions when you're a female. So um, I certainly hope that he does not have the mutation, but I'm also very hopeful that even if he does, that it's something that um, he will still live a long life with.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I... um... I just want to commend you for breaking some of these cycles of silence around talking about the hard things of, you know, depression and suicide, but also just around illness. We have so much shame in our um, just our human experience of feeling that a disease or a mutation is somehow a reflection on us as being less than as people. And I think it's really wonderful that you're raising your son with this openness That just, it's just a story, you know? It's really not a judgment about a person. Um, And I know I'm trying to raise my own daughter in this way. and, And there's an idea for me in here too of kind of mothering myself in some of the ways that I wish I could have been, you know? And just giving myself that grace too. And I see that in your story too, of you giving grace both outward and inward. Um, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond to that if you have anything that you want to say about mothering the self.
2: Yes, I, that's well said. That's exactly, I think, where I am is the, the, that I, I feel like it's a place to mother myself and to love myself, <laughs> um, to find myself to be kind of the person that um, I'm meant to be. Um, and that my son, I think it's very important to me that he see that we're all complex people and that you don't have to be happy all the time. I mean, certainly you don't want to be sad all the time, but it's not, you know, it's it's not a failure to be uh, sad. It's not a failure to talk about being sad um, and that I'm I'm always going to be there. Um, so just as I'm always there for my son, I'm learning that I need to always be there for myself Um Yeah, so I I just think that's really well said. The mothering yourself, I think that's very appropriate and true to me as well.
1: Yeah, I just, um, I think it would be it would be a bummer to go through life without experiencing the the benefits of mothering, even if you have to be the one to give it to yourself. But I also think I can't say this firsthand, but I would think even if you had the most amazing present mom who was there you know you guys were together for a hundred years or more that there would still be aspects that you know she can't give you that you have to give yourself i know when i was diagnosed with breast cancer i was concerned as you were you know about leaving my daughter behind and it still is a worry of mine and so i started to slowly kind of gather what i called a council of mothers and started to identify in my friends and relatives who could fill these little you know, characteristic aspects of mother to my child were I to, to disappear. And even though I am still here now, I still find those women fill that, you know, those little gaps, because I am not super mom by any means, as much as I try to live, you know, and do better than the past. I can't be everything for her at, at all times. And so it's been nice to kind of realize that. And also it's interesting how many people have asked me if I'm not, a little jealous. You know, if my child needs to get something from someone else and I I honestly can say I'm I'm not. I'm thrilled for her to to gather these women around her. Yeah, that's a really beautiful concept. <laughs> I love that the Thanks. gathering
2: of yeah. the women around you and feeling yeah, and I do I do feel that that no matter how much I can do for my son that I can't really do everything for him. Just as my mother faults and and positives couldn't do everything for me, um even if she had been available, available to me all the time, she couldn't have given me everything I needed. Um, yeah, and I think too that something that has been very important to me during this is strengthening the relationship between my son and my husband's parents. Um, so I'm, i I encourage them to move across the country to live here, which they did. Um, and I also strive very hard to make sure we see them at least once a week that they spend time with my son. Um, And that they have a strong bond and a connection with him, because that's just to me is really important. I had a strong connection with my grandmother when I was a child and that carried me through so much. Um, And so I feel like having a strong connection with his grandparents will be something that will just be there for him, even if I'm gone.
1: I agree. Same. I didn't have to move my in-laws across the country, but I moved them over a hill (laughs) to be nearby. (laughs) So for sure. So, Tova, I just want to ask you one last question and bring it back to writing, but tell us, you know, where writing fits in your life these days, if you're still writing mom stories or, you know, where your focus is these days with your writing, if you're doing it.
2: So, yes, I try, especially with the cancer. It's something that if I'm mothering myself, then something I do for myself is make sure I'm I'm writing. I'm not disciplined enough to say that I write every single day, but I do... I do kind of remind myself when I realize I haven't written in a while that, boy, you know, I should sit down and I should spend a little time writing um, just whatever comes to mind. And I would say the things that mostly come to me are the, this concept of what is it I need? Cause I think I just spent my, my life serving other people and doing what other people needed and feeling like my happiness was tied to just other people being happy. Um, and so for me now, I think that that is, I'm exploring what that means, what that means to do what makes me happy what it is that makes me happy um and writing is something that makes me happy so even in doing it i'm in doing the writing i'm exploring and learning about myself but then that thing itself is also a thing that makes me happy so
1: I love that. And I think that there's so much we can learn about life through the act of writing. And I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but I'm slightly obsessed right now with becoming the main character of my life because I have put so much energy into supporting other people's stories and being the, I don't know, the the guide or whatever in their story that it's like, okay, well, what would it look like if I centered myself in this story? And that is about what makes me feel alive, what makes me happy right now?
2: Yeah, I think that definitely ties back to the the gathering women around yourself to help fill the gaps or, you know, to broaden and strengthen the sort of opportunities that your child has is um, at the point, at least I know this intellectually, that the point I'm taking care of myself and doing things that make me happy and make me the center of my life, it actually is beneficial to my son because he sees that, you know, I'm, I'm a whole person, not just a mother, not just a wife, whatever, that, um, I'm a whole person and happiness
1: comes from being a whole person. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's so important. Well, thank you so much, Tova. If people want to learn more about you or find more about you, where can they look? Um, well,
2: I do not have a Twitter handle or anything like that. So, uh, really, but my name, if you Google my name, I am the only, I'm the only Tova Walking in the whole United States. So, um, you can find me.
1: (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. I'm April Stearns and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's story and conversation with Tova. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire Archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, here's the writing prompt. Set your timer for eight minutes and write without stopping or editing. I want you to tell the story of your relationship with your mom through the story of her hands. Can you picture them? The lines in the skin, her nails? Maybe there's nail polish or rings? Are her hands soft or calloused? How did they hold you? What did those hands mean to you in your childhood? Can you see them holding a kitchen utensil perhaps or gripping a steering wheel? Also, you can substitute any mother figure for your mom in this prompt or swap out mom and insert dad or even another caregiver. Begin with the details, though. Eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.